Welcome to the Keller Williams Realty Van Central Podcast. Real talk with real agents, featuring Connie Buna and Roland Kim. Hi, everybody. Connie Buna and Roland Kim here. Hi, everyone. I'm the managing broker here at Keller Williams Van Central. Roland Kim is our operating partner. What does that even mean, anyways? I operate things. You're so good at operations. You are a great partner. Friends, today I want to talk about a number of things relevant to our brokerage and relevant to your trade practice. And I want to start off on a very important topic that I am often talking about, which is minimizing risk. There's lots of risk. So how do you do that, Connie, when you're a realtor? It's a great question. So first and foremost, I always ask myself in my in my practice, am I asking enough questions? Do I fully understand the scope of the scenario or the trade? And when I'm analyzing, or if I were to analyze my transaction after the fact, or if a third party was analyzing my transaction after the fact, would they be able to determine that my actions and my advice demonstrates the highest and best capacity of my fiduciary duties as a realtor. All right. You're a brand new agent. You haven't done any business. So how do you get started and protect your risk? Amazing. So I love to talk about that because we've all been there. Literally (laughs) every single one of us had our first exchange, interaction, client transaction. One of the things that come to mind right away is you don't know what you don't know. And so that's always a very interesting dynamic as you're beginning your transaction. And so sometimes we lean into past experience. So for example, let's say this is your first transaction as a brand new licensee, you're representing a buyer in the purchase of a condo, but you know, you've gone through that process yourself, perhaps as an individual, as a consumer. So you might lean into some of your own personal experience in that regard. It's sort of an analogy that I think about often, which is if you're playing a game, if you're playing baseball, are you practicing swinging the bat when you're up for bat in the middle of the game? Or have you been swinging that bat all morning in -hmm. advance of your practice, in advance of your actual game? And I think it's a similar conversation when we think about engaging in your first trade and how many different variables there are at play. If you haven't had the opportunity to shadow another agent and or have mentorship or guidance from another realtor, it's very, very important that you follow a checklist. So something that we have at the brokerage is a pretty succinct checklist around some of the core or required documents that you're going to be needing. And also lean into a system. Follow a system that already exists to help you ensure that you're covering all the bases. The other thing that is certainly relevant when we're thinking about new licensees is the benefit of leaning into the experience or the collective knowledge of other folks at our brokerage, not only the managing broker and associate broker here, but also all of the other very experienced realtors that we have in our brokerage. It is a fundamental component of the culture of our organization to share our knowledge and to support and elevate one another. And so... Are you taking the steps necessary as a professional to make sure that you know what you need to be doing next? So that's something I might say, you know, to a new licensee is, you know, if you're analyzing your your next steps, what are you doing? Like, tell me the roadmap. 
I notice a big difference between a new licensee or in general a licensee when they're um, working on a transaction that's friendly versus competitive. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, if they have a buy opportunity or a listing opportunity and a new licensee is new in the business and it's a family member or a friend and, you know, they automatically assume and typically always do receive the business. And so they approach it in not a cavalier way, but an unprepared way. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of challenges with that. One, everything that you just covered, like your risk hasn't been minimized. You haven't taken that opportunity to understand how everything operates, what's the best practices. You haven't gotten a mentor. You aren't in coaching. You aren't pouring into your practice and your business. Mm -hmm. And your friend and your family member, in fact, someone that's you know most dear to you is exposed to the most amount of risk. Yes. And even if nothing happens and you, you know, fall forward and successfully do the transaction, you know, the biggest loss that I see in that situation is you've wasted the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I really am impressed by realtors who join our office that are brand new. The licensees pour into the productivity coaching. That's part of our mandatory part of our brokerage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they listen. It's amazing what happens when you listen. So we tell them, you know, Build your systems, build a buying system, a listing system, you know, do your scripts, understand the rules, go and practice. And when they do that and they have an opportunity and it, let's say it's a family member that wants to list a house, they approach it from a professional perspective right from the start. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're presenting to their family member or friend as if it was a person of the general public that mm -hmm. perhaps they're competing against other licensees. And they're professionally working that uh, piece of business mm -hmm. and they don't make things up. So if you're missing the knowledge on something, the, the right answer is, I don't know at this point, but I want to get you the right answer. Let me get back to you in a few minutes or a few hours. And so they gain the information that they're lacking and they're cautiously moving forward in a professional manner. The nice part about that is typically in new licensees, I find that they have a couple transactions in their first year that come from friends and family. Mm -hmm. And the ones that utilize those transactions and run it like a business and really use that as a tool to build out their business mm -hmm launch into a great career. Yes. Otherwise, often what we experience are new licensees that get off to a great running start because they do a few quick transactions with family and friends, but they haven't really learned their business or built it out. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes when you talk to a licensee and they're, you know, they've been around for a year or two, they've done some transactions and you ask to see their listing presentation and they don't have one. Yes. Or they don't have systems. Yes. You know, I think about one of the things you touched on that I think is so powerful that is a huge benefit to minimizing risk is actually thinking through some appropriate script language, actually. You know, there should be and could be and exists fabulous scripts to help you, for example, at the very basic first step of that transaction, explain the relationship of agency and the responsibilities around agency. For those of us that have been in trade practice for many years now, those scripts come naturally. They're embedded inside of us. But if it's your first time, for example, going through the disclosure of representation in trade, I might ask you the question, have you read that document? Have you read it from start to finish? Do you understand what it means? Have you read the contract of purchase and sale? And I will admit that for myself personally, it actually took me a long time to truly understand all of the components of the contract of purchase and sale and the impacts of certainly the boilerplate language. Why is it there and what does it do? How does it impact my client? 
who may or may not, who is the buyer in this scenario and how does it impact the seller? Over and above that, there are fantastic training courses, both at the board as well as at the brokerage level in sort of that 101 capacity of, you know, buying, working with buyers as a, as a first step of the process, working with sellers as a first step of learning. One of the things that I did when I got into real estate, I was coming from a corporate sales environment. And so for me, I had pretty regimented training when I was in a sales environment. You know, there was a system that I had to follow and I just simply sat down in the seat and followed whatever the training protocol was. I was simply told what to do. And the fundamental difference between that experience and being in real estate is real estate is entrepreneurial by its very nature. You're an independent contractor and or you're working likely, if you're not totally independent, you're working in a team environment. And so in a team environment, of course, you're leaning into your team leader and their systems to help you learn and grow. And if you're joining as an independent contractor, as the vast majority of us do, it's on you. It's on you to figure it out. And so, you know, you might be asking yourself the question like, okay, great, what's step one? And I know for myself, one of the main reasons that I chose the brokerage that I selected when I started my career in real estate many years ago was because the brokerage itself had a really consistent training schedule and it allowed me to build some scheduled time around learning over and above the very, very basics that you're taught when you just are doing the coursework for your licensing. And I know that's been vastly improved in the more than a decade that I've been in real estate. You do now have a much more detailed practical component, but even there, the idea of, again, I just, I really feel like that sporting and or, you know, artistic analogy of like, you know, performance is not when you are are rehearsing, like you're rehearsing and you're practicing before you're on stage to perform. Uh, Similarly, like you're swinging that bat before it's game time. And so coming in and participating in script practice, participating in the mentorship program that helped support you at whatever level of your business you're in is the absolute best thing that you can do. You're giving yourself a gift because you are going to be so much more prepared when it's actually game time and you have a client in front of you. One of the things you touched on, partner, that I I really like and I, I think I, I isolate as a really powerful script in so many scenarios of our trade practice is the phrase or the script, I don't want to give you a quick answer. I want to give you the right answer. And you can use that script in so many different scenarios. And you need to be mindful, of course, that that you're not using it too much such that your client is getting the impression that you don't know anything at all. But, you know, that scenario where you brought up the point and it's such a powerful point of don't make things up. If you don't know, certainly don't make it up. Everybody learns in a different way, but that particular script can be very, very helpful and very powerful to help you buy a little bit of time to actually go and check it out. We are on your team. Whether your team is you and your dog or a team of 10 real estate professionals, the Home Happy Team is here to enhance your client's experience. We take care of the financing side of the real estate equation, reducing their stress through a team approach of experience, technology, and communication. Your client experiences a lot when buying a home. Make sure it's a great one they will remember by introducing them to Michael Lloyd and the Home Happy Team for their mortgage needs. 
on that note, so I'm going to ask you to think about what was one of the biggest mistakes you've made as a new licensee with a client and what was the one of the best moves you've made. And I'll kind of tell my own version of that. So one of uh, the best moves I made as a new licensee was when I got a listing presentation that wasn't family or friends. It was actually a top tier CEO in a federal company that we'd all know. And I, I was smart enough to forecast what would that interview go like. I have no experience practically listing and selling. I certainly have no experience in this building. Um, and I naturally get nervous. So like my foreshadow was not a successful <laughs> transaction. <laughs> and yet I didn't want to say no to the opportunity that mm -hmm. had come through my mother-in-law. And luckily I was just naturally figuring how can I solve this problem? And I knew an amazing realtor, Dwayne Launt, and I said, let's co-list this together. Can you take the lead and just show me how to do it? Mm -hmm. And this person's a high level professional person and they're gonna grill us. And Dwayne was amazing to learn from because a few things I discovered was he had experience selling in that property. In fact, he, in the building, he knew the different floor plans, you know, and in that interview, I would have lost the seller within minutes, let alone even Dwayne was having challenges to prove mm. his strength of being mm. the right listing agent. Mm. And it went as, you know, as detailed as, um, have you sold this floor plan before? And this floor plan is different than this floor plan. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of new agents and new licensees and seasoned agents who are going in a different area of their business. And I want to touch on that later. Um, what they see when they involve another more experienced person in perhaps a mentorship or a partnership role for that transaction is they see less money Yes. versus I see money that I otherwise wouldn't have had. And I see money that I don't otherwise need to pay out because I don't get in trouble. Yes. And so that was um, that was not something that was taught to me, trained or told. It was more, I recognized that I was given a referral opportunity for a listing where I was entirely out of my league, that I would go into an appointment and squander it within moments. And I just wanted to get experience and have a great interaction and make a great transaction. Mm -hmm. And so I got someone and partnered with them and learned from them. And on the flip side of that, as I got more experience in my first year, I got really, really successful with helping buyers. And I got a uh, what I thought was a buying opportunity. I met with a couple in Kitsilano and we started on the buying conversation and they switched it quite quickly to a listing conversation. And they wanted to talk about listing their home. And so the lesson I learned there was I didn't, um, as we do now, have an initial consultation to figure out, you know, what is the goal of the client? What are we going to talk about? How can I help them? What can I bring to the table? And how can I be prepared? And so they wanted to talk about selling their beautiful loft. And I didn't have experience, but I thought I would wing it. I thought I would try and explain to them what I'm going to do on the listing side without having any listing paperwork, presentation or materials with me. Mm. And um, it was terrible because I lost that opportunity and I lost obviously their buy. I would have been uh, an amazing buyer's agent for them. And they were really well connected in a circle of young professionals that had I, um, you know, had I been more prepared and had I, even in that moment where you aren't prepared, mm -hmm. just been honest and been like, you know what? I really thought this conversation was going to be about your buying needs. Mm -hmm. And usually with listing, it's a, it's a two meeting approach. I want to learn more about the people and then about the property and then come back to you with a game plan and, mm -hmm. and talk in detail how we can help you maximize the value of your home. Mm -hmm. You know, they might've seen that as a little bit of a delay tactic but I still would have had a chance to recover and I could have provided them with great service. Mm -hmm. And so those are my two experiences. Can you, in the time I've been rambling, think of any? 
Well, I can think of one experience specifically where I would say I really failed. And yep. it was it was certainly earlier in my in my career. And i it's remarkable how often I've reflected on the trade. Fail. Yeah. Uh, so I represented buyers. They were first-time home buyers. We were out looking for property together. They came from a referral of my very first client that was not somebody that knew me, someone that I had met at an open house that became very quickly just by virtue of her nature. She was a, an ambassador style person where Beautiful. she's happy to share names. And so I was introduced to these buyers. I was like moderately experienced. I had had a few trades under my belt, but certainly not um, not enough to to allow me to understand what I think in this, as I reflect on it, there were a few things at play. Number one, I was dealing with very, very anxious people just by their, mm -hmm. their nature. They were extremely analytical. They were cautious. And they also had quite different personalities mm. between the two parties, which in reflection, I feel like I didn't spend enough time really understanding their decision-making styles, their concerns, how they liked to receive information, how they liked to digest and process information. And so out we went looking at properties together. And I can remember many times, you know, doing debriefs with them at their kitchen table and, you know, sitting for an hour or two and and sort of being grilled on all of the different scenarios or the possible risks. And I had no, I had no ability to control the narrative at that time. And when I say control the narrative, what I mean is I feel like I failed at demonstrating to them my ability to help them mitigate risk, interestingly enough. And I feel like I failed in my ability to assure them that I was in their corner. Mm. And it's very, very interesting to think about that in reflection. We, in the end, we did end up securing an accepted offer on a property, we did a home inspection. We were reviewing strata documents and and what went sideways was something that I think in my now, in my later years, in my experienced years, I could have, I could have managed, I could have retained them as clients. We, we may or may not have moved forward with that purchase. And what I learned now as in my experienced seat is it doesn't matter. I have no particular affiliation to any particular listing for a buyer. It's not my decision to make. I represent them in my capacity as their agent and my job is to protect their best interests and to exercise reasonable skill and care to ensure that we have covered all of the bases. And if at the end of the day, they are not fully satisfied with the obvious component of risk that's associated with any purchase, then we move forward and we collapse. And that's the benefit of having an offer with subject conditions. And in this particular instance, I think that they felt like I was pushing them hmm. I think that they felt like I was making excuses for the building. Okay. I had no, again, I didn't have any particular feelings from the building, but what I was doing in, again, in reflection was I was imparting to them opinions rather than advice. Mm -hmm. This building is fine. You're overthinking this. And I can't recall the specific instance if that was my exact language, <laughs> probably not, but Certainly, I left them with the impression that it was their fault in some capacity that this was not working and not coming together. You weren't in their corner. And I wasn't in their corner. And I ended up losing their business. 
So it was the only interaction that I've had in my professional career where I was essentially fired. And in the end, it's funny enough that we're actually very closely connected again in this world, not in a real estate or professional capacity, but in a social capacity. And and I've never brought it up with them again. I never would, but I have reflected on it. It has been one of those foundational failures in my career that I think about and I've analyzed and I've reflected on as a learning tool. I think in the end, I'm happy to know that they found another great realtor to support them. They you know, have had a number of sales, which all of those opportunities I lost disappointingly. And I think I did learn from that experience. So that for me is a reflection of probably one of the one of the worst interactions I've had. When I think about like one of the better opportunities or interactions I have, I think about um, again, relatively early in my career, but an opportunity with a first time buyer where um, very cautious, very concerned. And I was able to help them in an analyzing risk, understand that yes, there was risk associated with making that purchase, but in the end, they did end up moving forward with buying this particular property. They had a very limited budget. They had a $10,000 down payment. They secured a two-bedroom condo in Port Moody. And we were able to take that $10,000 down payment. And in the end, when they ended up moving and selling, they took that $10,000 and turned it into $150,000 of equity. They couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. Their minds were blown. And I really, I feel so, I feel so delighted for my clients when those sorts of situations happen. And there are a few scenarios there. It was a lot of it had to do with really helping them understand the value of making the decision. Because I feel like they were at a point where we could have easily, you know, sabotaged the opportunity and just moved into a rental dynamic. And I really helped them understand that the benefit of ownership, it was not necessarily their primary area that they were interested in living in. They ended up loving the neighborhood. And also we had the benefit of growth over time. And so they were in that home for, I think, seven or eight years. And so that seven or eight years of growth allowed their equity to powerfully grow. And then when they moved, they actually moved out into a different region of the province where they were able to move from a ladder perspective into something significantly better as a result of the power of their equity growing in their primary residence. And so I think about that example too, as just a a situation that just brings me so much pride and happiness and joy to have been able to help somebody in that regard. Beautiful. One point I want to bring back or get to before we move on from minimizing risk is, um, so obviously new licensees, tons of risk because of lack of experience. And then in our role as leaders at the office and managers, we also see a lot of experienced realtors fall into risk categories mm-hmm. that are confusing when you're looking from the outside in on how they made those decisions. And so I always think of a realtor's decision based on finite resource mentality, where they're worried about losing money or opaque approach where they're just not aware of the risks or a mindset of plenty and wanting to make sure that the clients first and foremost is always kept. And so what I mean by that is, um, you know, how many times do we see a realtor that does an amazing job as a, you know, repeat referral type of person specializing in an area. And then one of their clients talks about wanting to buy a warehouse in Abbotsford. Yes. And, you know, scenario number one, the realtor could be a person seeing it as a commission check that I could earn. And I think I do a good job in what I do right now. And so why can't I help them? And, you know, they're kind of driven by wanting the money versus really understanding 
how could this tarnish my client's relationship if mm -hmm. I don't do a great job? Mm -hmm. And and so there's ramifications to that. Yes. And then scenario number two is licensees that don't um, recognize that there's a vast difference between selling, you know, a detached property that they specialize in, and now they're going to go sell you know, uh, floating homes. Yes. And they approach the offer as if they're just writing something they're used to mm -hmm. without preparing for it. Mm -hmm. And then the third agent that we have is kind of the one that um, when an opportunity comes, instead of getting excited automatically for every opportunity, they instantly ask themselves, am I the right person? Yeah. And so for established realtors, that's definitely something that um, they continuously need to revisit is the risk profile and their experience. And that doesn't mean that you can't broaden your skill set and your tool belt of wanting to learn a different, you know, mm -hmm. there's lots of great residential realtors that have migrated into commercial, yep. but they need to approach it the same way as any professional where you're educating and investing into that new part of your business, you know, that new arm. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting that risk keeps following your your. Full career. And the other thing I think about too, as experienced agents and, and the risk associated is, you know, how often, for example, have we been in scenarios where, you know, you've seen you're on the listing side, you get multiple offers and you haven't really paid close attention to the details of the terms and conditions of the offer that's accepted. And all of a sudden, when you're taking a closer look, when the dust has settled, you realize, oh my gosh, I've accepted something in this contract that perhaps I didn't adequately explain to my seller. And, you know, one of the risks associated with, um, with being an experienced realtor, we never, ever, ever escape risk. It's just a natural part of our role in our world. Every single trade, every interaction and I think that sometimes there's a little bit of ego that comes into play where we think we're infallible, like there's nothing that can touch us. And also there's when we get into a situation where it's like super repetitive, perhaps we get a little bit lazy. Complacent. We I, get complacent. I think the other thing too is we make an assumption that something that's uh, a non-issue for you and me is a non-issue for everyone. And a great example of that would be you need to go through your offer with a fine tooth comb and explain everything as if it's the first time you've heard about it. Well, not first, but you can explain it and listen to the other side, your client, to see how they respond. An example of that would be, you know, majority of our contracts that if we're listing, we receive from the buyer's agent has a clause in there that the buyer gets access one, two more times yes. after subjects have been removed and before completion. And me as a, as a licensee, myself as a buyer and seller in the past, that makes complete sense to me. And I would assume that everyone would be comfortable with that. And so perhaps, you know, if I wasn't doing my job perfectly, I might not go over that with the seller. And I would only focus on, oh my gosh, here are the terms, here's the great price, here's the completion date. And I would think that's, it's, it's a non-issue. And, and there are sellers that if you didn't explain that to them, that could first of all, really tarnish the relationship it, and it could cause a lot of, you know, risk for you mm -hmm. because they have no intention of letting someone back in their space. Mm -hmm. That's not how they previously did the transactions, perhaps in another part of the world or another, you know, and, and, and it can really, something like that, that seems so innocuous can get you in trouble, cause mm -hmm. you risk. And even on a lighter level, maybe you don't get in trouble, but you lose a client over something that was a non-issue in your mind, but you yeah. didn't cover it. Yeah. I think also about, I mean, as it relates to experienced agents, like are we adequately explaining, for example, to our sellers, the difference between fixtures and chattels? Are we taking a minute in that time to say, or even in advance of that, to say, listen, 
everything affixed to the walls here, including every light fixture, all your appliances, all the window coverings, all that stuff is assumed as part of the contract to stay. Is that what you want? How many interactions have we had on the listing side of a transaction where somebody says, oh gosh, no, that chandelier is very precious to me. That was flown over from you know, Poland. It's very, very special. It was given to me as a wedding present. And that can be something that becomes a very, very frustrating sticking point if we're in the midst of a negation or worse, if we're, <laughs> if we have a firm contract in hand and yes. all, all of a sudden we're wanting to backtrack on that. So overall, I think in summary around the mitigation of risk, it's it, it, no amount of experience alleviates risk for you. None. And in fact, the longer you're in the business, <laughs> the more likely you're getting to being scrutinized, to being investigated by the council, to being sued. It's a risk that we all have here. It's a very natural risk as part of our roles. But there's ways of dramatically reducing it. And earlier talking a little bit about your experience um, where you, you lost control of a buyer relationship and you had to collapse the deal. Mm -hmm. How do you collapse the deal? Thank you for bringing that in. So that's that's an interesting question because you know what? It comes up often by new licensees and, and folks who are very, very experienced because it's not overly common. There's often a question mark around like, what forms do I need to use? So let's talk about collapsing a deal a little bit. So on different sides of the transaction. So you're representing a buyer, buyer has subject conditions, buyer is collapsing the transaction for a legitimate reason that they already have a condition for. So they, they didn't like the results of the home inspection. They're not moving forward. Folks have asked me, what document do you use to collapse a transaction? And very simply, when you represent a buyer and you're not removing subjects, it's an addendum to the contract of purchase and sale. And why do you want to do that? Well, first of all, if you know that you're not removing subjects, it is the professional and courteous thing to do to release the seller from that transaction. So as we know, a seller is, by virtue of acceptance or revocable, not able to accept or negotiate other offers other than backup offers until there's clarity around whether or not your buyer will be removing their subject conditions. And so if you know your buyer is not moving forward, you should, and, and I would argue must, release the seller from that contract. And so that's done, again, through an addendum to the contract. And my preference, as always, if you ever speak with me about, you know, drafting language in an addendum and drafting terms and conditions in a contract, my advice to you is be clear and keep it simple. You do not need to use verbose legalese. That is not our role. As simple as can be, when you're collapsing a transaction and you represent the buyer, your addendum will say the buyer and seller or the buyer hereby notifies the seller that they will not be removing their subject conditions. The buyer and seller are now released from the contract of purchase and sale because most of the subject conditions in most CPSs will be exclusively for the benefit of the buyer. It's referred to as a unilateral addendum, doesn't necessarily need to be signed by the seller. It's always great if we get an acknowledgement from the seller, but it's not a requirement unless there is a seller condition in there also, or a condition that is to the benefit of both the buyer and the seller, in which case all parties need to sign. So that's the step that you need to take when you are on the, the buying side. It's important that once that addendum is signed, that you submit your loop for review, notifying the MCA office that the deal has collapsed, unfortunately. That's also one of the primary reasons why in our marketplace, we don't collect deposits in advance of subject removal. 
One of the reasons why I don't collect deposits in advance of subject removal is because once a deposit is received and deposited into trust, in order to release the deposit, we actually need approval from both buyer and seller. And so in circumstances of a collapse, seller might feel frustrated, might not want to release. And now we're in a situation where deposit is being held hostage and we may need to be getting into actually civil action uh, to have deposit release. So best case scenario, deposit received at subject removal. When you represent the seller and a deal collapses, I recommend to you that you ask very directly for a release. And you're asking for a release so that you can carry on selling the property. Nazri Notary Corporation is a full-service notary practice centrally located in Vancouver and has been serving the community for almost 20 years. At Masri Notary, we have two notaries and take great pleasure in always being available to help our clients. We handle real estate purchases, sales, and mortgage refinancing. We also offer planning documents such as wills, powers of attorney, and healthcare rep agreements. Reach out and book a free consultation today. You can find us at masrinotary.com. What you know about the nature of these podcasts and and what Roland and I are sharing is that we're sharing with you advice and experience as well as, you know, sort of trade practices. And so this is a little bit of advice as a broker, and this is a little bit of advice as a realtor. Um, When I'm on the selling side of a transaction and there's a collapse, you know, I I certainly don't want to be combative to my cooperating agent. They're probably just as disappointed as I am that the deal is going sideways. At the end of the day, they can't control or make their client do something that they're not prepared to be doing. I've also had people say to me, Connie, how do I explain this? How do I explain it to my seller? And that really speaks to what we were talking about earlier, which is have you done your very best to explain to your seller when they're accepting an offer what the subject conditions mean? And the fact that it is not a firm contract until subjects are removed. And what happens? What recourse do you have? And there's plenty of case law around attempting to force folks to perform on a contract if they're not wanting to move forward on it. It does become a situation of case law. It is cumbersome. It is expensive. You will definitely be involved in legal action if your buyer is wanting to pursue legal action against a seller. And so again, or a buyer, you want to make sure that you're doing your job as a listing agent, in explaining to your seller client that the buyer may in fact choose to remove their subject conditions. And very often subject conditions are written in such a way that there's quite a bit of latitude for the buyer to exit the contract. From a logistical perspective, just in terms of systems and steps outside of that addendum, which will be delivered to you, advising you that the buyer is not moving forward, you should also be processing that collapse through the office, through dot loop or command. And you should be advising your seller, keeping them appraised of all of the, of the updates. So one of the things, if I put my realtor hat on and I'm giving you trade advice, one of the things that I see very commonly in the marketplace when the market is busy is listing agent gets an accepted offer on their listing and all of a sudden no more showings. <laughs> Not going to go there. Couldn't bother. It's, it's for sure. It's a done deal. I'm moving on. I'm sitting on the beach. And I have always taken the approach that I never take my foot off the gas until we have a firm deal. I also never calculate my commissions until it's a done deal. 
I just, that's not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on working on keeping it together. I maintain contact with the buyer's agent through the subject removal process to ensure that they have all of the documentation they need. And that also speaks to mitigation of risk. You know, do they have, have they received all of the documentation that they need to satisfy their subject conditions? Have I, as the listing agent, confirmed that they have everything they need? And then over and above that, you know, ensuring that once the deal is collapsed, if you are negotiating in another contract, you need that release before you can accept another offer. Mm -hmm. And if you do not have that release yet and you're in the process of negotiating another offer, you must include a backup clause that allows you to protect the seller. You cannot sell the property twice. And so, for example, there can be scenarios where buyer agent communicates to you that the deal's going sideways. Now you carry on negotiating with party number two to put together another offer because it's a hot listing and you want to get it sold and you haven't received a release yet. And what happens if you have two accepted offers? You're in big trouble is what happens. Someone's getting sued, likely. So that's why you need to have that paper trail and that formal release actually documented. Some people will say, oh, we just wait till the subject removal expiry and then the contract dies. And in fact, that's true by virtue of contract law and the, and the boilerplate language in the contract says that if, for example, the deposit is not received and the subjects are not removed, you know, the contract is deemed to have expired and or died. But if it becomes a, a challenge or a question, the courts will ask, the council will ask, the board will ask, why didn't you get a release? Or buyer agent, why wouldn't you produce a release to confirm that the buyer is exiting the contract. It's a very simple and straightforward process. Hmm. Negotiating commissions, changing them when you're in the throes of the transaction. Yes. Also something that comes up frequently. So we'll speak to a minute about amending or negotiating commissions. So again, when you're in the seat as the listing agent and in the midst of negotiation, let's say, for example, the buyer agent says, okay, I'm going to throw in a thousand dollars of my commission as part of this transaction. The question often comes up, how do we do that? First of all, how do we do that? How do we amend the listing? And how does the buyer clarify that they will be taking a reduced commission? So first and foremost, if you're on the listing side of that transaction and buyer agent has agreed and or you have agreed to amend the listing commission away from what has been uh, negotiated on the multiple listing contract and or exclusive contract, you use a listing amendment form. So that's the same form that you use to change the price, for example. So it's a listing amendment. You are amending the listing contract to reflect a new fee. Seller is going to sign that. And then if you're on the buying side of the transaction, we often have buyers, for example, if the cooperating fee is not a fee that you're prepared to accept, if it's lower than your agreed upon fee, buyer agent will say, well, you know, you're offering $1,000 for this trade and I actually want... I want $5,000 or I want three and 1.16 on the balance of the total purchase price. And we can often see buyer agents including that commission negotiation in the contract. Not right. Not right. Because now all of a sudden we have a new negotiation between parties that are not buyer and seller. The buyer's agent is not a party to the trade. They represent the buyer as the as, as a, in their capacity and agency. And their commission negotiations is not something that is appropriately put into the terms and conditions of the contract. Commission negotiation happens outside of the contract. 
And if you're the buyer's agent and you're negotiating a different fee than what's operated by the uh, cooperating agent, what you need to be doing is first and foremost, you need to seek permission from your buyer that you can in fact make this negotiation. And would that permission include the risks and rewards of trying to change it? Absolutely. It will definitely include the risks and rewards. And further to that, you will ensure that your documentation is appropriate. So you will use, WebForms has great forms, such as buyer represented, seller not represented fee agreement. And so people have often asked the question, oh, but the seller is represented. The intention of the document is who are you representing, Mm -hmm. right? So buyer is represented by you, seller is not represented by you, fee agreement. And the fee agreement is clarifying that the buyer understands that you're negotiating that fee and also the seller agrees or accepts the negotiation. And so that is the appropriate way in which fee is negotiated. If you have any questions about the negotiation of fees, you know, it's always best to clarify that stuff in advance and also to remember your obligations to protect your clients above all else to put their best interests first. It's a fundamental principle of agency and a fundamental principle of your fiduciary duty to put your client first. And so you bring up the risk and reward of negotiating the commission. Are we putting our client in a situation where they may in fact be compromised by this negotiation? How do you mean? Well, I can think of a personal experience where I was assisting a client, I was assisting the seller in the trade. It was a private sale, which we often will do. So outside of MLS, this was an exclusive listing. As we know, dual agency has been banned. And so I represented the seller in this transaction and their friend, very dear friend, wanted to purchase the property. And the seller introduced me to the prospective buyer saying, you know, this is my friend. I want to sell it to her. She agrees to the price that we want. And my advice to my seller, I never did have a conversation with the buyer. I dealt with the seller directly. And my advice to the seller was amazing. I definitely want to help you. I actually really enjoy that type of opportunity to help people, you know, in this particular instance, hand off an amazing property to keep it in their community to their very dear friend. Fantastic experience. And I recommended that they get their own agent to support them in the negotiation. And interestingly enough, so they, great, they brought a realtor in. So realtor comes into the trade. I was very honest and direct with the realtor around the the commission that I was offering for this transaction, which was, you know, perceivably a different or discounted commission than what might be offered on a normal MLS um, listing. And I was totally transparent. I'm offering this fee. It's a very straightforward transaction. I'm doing this as a as a goodwill gesture to my client and a goodwill gesture to the buyer. So the numbers work for everybody. In this instance, the buyer's agent was not satisfied with that. They wanted full fee or what she perceived to be full fee. I had a conversation with my seller. I said, okay, that's fine. I mean, I understand everybody, everybody has their own business to run and it's not my place to tell another individual how to run their business. And so what I said was, Well, if she's insistent on offering full fee, what we're going to do is we're going to increase the purchase price to accommodate her fee. So purchase price has been increased now by approximately $8,000 in this particular trade to cover the fee that the buyer agent was wanting. Interestingly enough, when that was brought to the attention of the buyer, what was abundantly clear to me was that the buyer agent did not explain that she was not satisfied with the fee that was being offered. Did not get permission. Did not get permission. And the buyers were, in fact, quite startled that they were being asked to pay this additional, this additional fee. 
And so what was the takeaway? What was the lesson there? That buyer agent unfortunately lost their business. They ended up working with another realtor who was more than happy to simply accept the cooperating fee, which was totally fair to facilitate this transaction. And I think at the end of the day, the buyers were left with a very unfortunate and um, unpleasant feeling about the experience. I think they felt like they were being taken advantage of. And I reflect on that saying to myself, geez, is that one interaction and that one commission worth what has now resulted in a tarnished relationship and a lost opportunity as you would have maintained that potentially maintained that relationship of agency may have had that trade in the future when that individual decided to move on. That's my comment on uh, commission negotiations. There's a risk and reward for every action, right? So yeah, I mean, that was a lot of great content. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening, gang. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Have a great day.